workforce and workplace norms are shaped as much by popularized portrayals as they are by our lived experiences. From sensational headlines, like The Great Resignation, to successful series, like The Office and Silicon Valley, to skits and stories shared on our social media feeds, what we see shapes what we believe. Let's go behind the scenes to discover what's new now and next in the world of work, and we'll challenge the traditions of what it means to live well and to work well. This is Success From Anywhere. Today on Success From Anywhere, an English teacher turned entrepreneur schools me about what the office wants to be when it grows up. And the answer might surprise you. Discover what homeroom and headquarters have in common from the leader committed to make room for a better way to work. Brian Chen, co-founder and CEO of Room. Welcome to Success From Anywhere, Brian. Thank you for having me. Well, there's one question I like to ask every guest to get started. And I'm curious, what was your first job and how did that job influence your career trajectory? Well, you mentioned it uh, in your introduction. I actually, my first job was as an English teacher uh, in Ecuador. So I went to Swarthmore College, small liberal arts college, studied English literature and economics. And I was, I felt so impacted by my professors and by uh, the the curriculum that I went through at Swarthmore College, especially in English literature, where I felt I wanted to actually give that back. And uh, so I went to Ecuador. I moved uh, there with a, a college friend of mine, and uh, I, I taught ninth and tenth grade English literature, and I taught some of the classics, you know. Uh, things like Of Mice and Men um, by Steinbeck and whatnot. Um, and the concept was um, to, to, to teach at this bilingual high school where I had an opportunity to shape the, the minds of, you know, young uh, teenagers who were just coming into, into their own. Um, how did that inspire or how did that impact what I currently do? Um, you know, I thought a lot about the concept of impact. And uh, as a teacher, you have a tremendous amount of impact on a group of students that sit in front of you for five days a week during the school year. Uh, and that was incredibly rewarding, but it was also not what I was looking for in terms of the scale of impact that I wanted to achieve with, uh, with my own ambition. So uh, what I learned from that year was one, I, th I think managing a classroom and, you know, classroom management is, is uh, there's a lot to learn just in terms of leadership. Um, but, but two, I, something I learned about myself was that um, I had these ambitions of having impact that could, that, I, uh, that could really scale. And scale was a concept uh, that was personally important to me. So it doesn't have to be important to everybody, but it was personally important to me. And uh, and so entrepreneurship was really uh, the avenue where I felt like I could have the greatest amount of impact, of real tangible impact where, you know, I do something, you know, I think you, you poke the universe and the universe responds, right? And um, that was, uh, that was, that was really kind of the, the, the key learning for me from my year of, of teaching that first job. 
your story is so relatable to the context happening right now where people are stepping back and thinking about what matters most and impact and scaling impact, as you just shared, is a theme that comes up consistently. What I'm wondering is, how did you stay motivated in that gap between intention and impact? Because that's not an overnight experience. You don't just set an intention and then realize this impact and scale it. How, how did you keep yourself encouraged along the gaps in that journey? It's a, it's a great question because uh, there, is, there is this dark middle of the journey that people don't talk about, right? Uh, where, and it, it's really important to shine a light on that middle part of the journey. And I, I think for, for me, it's always been about the, uh, it's, it's the idea that motivates, right? It's mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it, it is ideas that will ultimately cha- change the world, right? And uh, after teaching, English literature to ninth and tenth graders in Ecuador. Uh, one of the the jobs I took was at a nonprofit called Endeavor, and Endeavor uh, has a mission of supporting high impact entrepreneurs around the world and helping them scale their ideas from their local country to you know the global stage. And it's had tremendous success. It's brought uh, companies from Argentina. Uh, and Turkey to kind of the IPO New York Stock Exchange stage. Uh, But the thing that always was clear is you need to surround yourself with people who are similarly minded and you need to have that big idea at the forefront. Uh, You have, you can't stop thinking about what that bigger vision is and where you ultimately want to take your business, your particular business to. And you need to have people uh, around you who are crazy enough, right, to think that you can do it. Um, so if you don't have that community of support, and that's mentors, peers, loved ones, uh, just people who believe in you, or if you don't have that bigger idea uh, always in mind that's nagging at you, are you doing enough to achieve your big vision, uh, then it's going to be very hard because there is that that messy middle uh, from when you're just having an idea and aspiring to have impact and you're going to, there's a, there's a long struggle in between. Right. Uh, But I I would say that those are the two things in my mind uh, that are most important to, to bridge the gap. The messy middle. I love that. And you're reminding me of a really influential career mentor I had for years and he described that gap between intention and impact as the valley of despair, <laughs> right? Because when you set the intention or, or have the idea as you're describing it, you, you feel kind of a high, right? A little passion, some adrenaline. And then you feel like you're taking these steps and not maybe getting to the impact yet. And you called it the valley of despair, your idea of the messy middle. What's interesting is you don't have to go start your own business to be an entrepreneur. I mean, an entrepreneur, I think, can be anyone who has a big idea and wants to start something. And so often I find people get stuck at that starting point. I mean, how did you think big, act small as you've gone on your entrepreneurial journey to scaling your impact? 
so to me it's a it's a question of curiosity mm-hmm. uh and um oftentimes you might have a big idea uh but it a big idea is a ball of yarn and you have to pull and tug at the string of yarn to truly unravel the truth of it uh, and so when we started uh room it started off with a small idea a small problem and it evolved into the realization that we we're onto a big problem and so the way it started was we realized and felt personally the pain point of noise and lack of privacy in open floor plan offices, which was especially prevalent among startups pre-pandemic, right? And it it was such it was the case such that you'd have your marketing or you'd have your designers who would be singing to the tunes of music because that's the way they got into flow, and you'd have engineers who literally were so upset about the the state of affairs that they were, you know, that's, that was their number one complaint when it comes to work, uh, workplace satisfaction. And um, it was very clear that there was this problem around lack of privacy and too much noise. Now, the, the curiosity led me and my co-founder Morton to try to understand why does this problem exist at such a large scale and why is it so prevalent? And through pulling at that yarn and through a ton of curiosity and asking our customers questions and trying to understand an industry that we were completely new to, we realized that there were lots of underlying factors. And those were related to oftentimes to maybe some non-obvious stakeholders in the equation. So it you know, if you're a business, you're oftentimes forced to sign long-term leases, five, 10-year leases. So how do you build out an office that does accommodate uh, privacy at an affordable, uh, in an affordable way and in a way that can change to very quickly evolving ways of working? Uh, there are underlying issues when it comes to the number of stakeholders that it requires to build an office, whether it's uh, landlords, brokers, general contractors, architects, furniture dealers, the list goes on and on. And it's the complexity of creating the right solution that ultimately led us to think, okay, yes, there's a need for a phone booth in offices. Yes, there's a need to solve for privacy and lack of uh, and, and, and a lack of spaces for focus. Uh, but to, to really get at the root of it, we have to create a new way of building office out. And that's really been what's motivating for us. So to bridge that gap, I, I suppose to answer your question, between act small and think big, uh, I think it, it is, for me, the connective tissue relates to curiosity and to understanding what's a symptom of a bigger issue. What fascinates me about what you shared is that that curiosity took you on a journey to think differently about a fixed asset, an office, office space, a lease, and turn a fixed asset into something flexible. Adaptability is one of the topics of our time. I mean, how did you move into this thought process of the adaptable office design really ahead of your time. Tell us about that fixed to flexible journey. 
Yeah. So when we when we realized that this was a problem, um, I actually uh, had a friend who runs a billion dollar startup that's seven years old. And he had told me that he actually went so far as to build his own modular phone booth. He hired a carpenter off of Craigslist and uh, built uh, a phone booth with no ventilation, but that was isolated. And uh, it was a very unpleasant experience. But he told me that his employees were in there eight hours a day because they couldn't find anywhere else to get uh, to take a quiet phone call. Um, and so I credit my friend, his name is, his name is Ryan Peterson. He's the founder and CEO of Flexport, um, for, for seeding the idea and actually being our first angel investor. Uh, and he, he introduced me to the idea that there could be a, something that would ship flat and assemble on site, uh, that would solve this problem of noise. And, uh, what I realized is that the, that concept was truly a, re, a replacement for construction hmm. and that the alternative solution was to actually hire an architect, hire a general contractor, go through a complex permitting process to physically build out this fixed asset, as you said. So what I, through this, right, pulling of the yarn discovery process, uh, I realized that this was the the seed of, of, of that transition from fixed to flexible. That if you can start to build interior structures within an office using the logic of things that are prefabricated, modular, easy to assemble, then you change the dynamics. You no longer need to set up structures that are expected to last 10 to 15 years, even though you have zero confidence that that's going to be the case. You all of a sudden have the ability to adapt to, to, to your changing needs. And uh, the, the turnover time that's required, if you, again, if you decided, hey, I want a focus room in my office, and you call your architect and you call a general contractor, you reroute your HVAC, reroute electrical, you route in a sprinkler, all of those different things, it'll probably take you six months. Now, if you use a product like Rooms, it'll take you, it takes hours. And that is such a powerful change where the value that is unlocked through that adaptability, honestly, is, is, is hard to measure because you're benefiting from time, you're benefiting from cost, you're benefiting from you know, increased employee productivity and satisfaction. Um, and, uh, it's just a completely different logic and paradigm of what it means to build out an office. Right. And, you know, I, I think a lot of these types of innovations, uh, probably come only from people who are not from the industry. And I'll be very honest, right. Mm -hmm. My, my first job was as a English teacher is not as an architect. Um, <laughs> and it is, uh, you know, trying to lean into, that uh, naivete and 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 try to trying to rely on that um, innate kind of curiosity, where I think new approaches to old problems can be appreciated and you know really brought to market in a successful way. And nostalgia is a powerful force. I mean, we can all relate to 
the feeling of being in an office in that open floor plan on a deadline or a customer critical conversation and you've got the loud talker and somebody's heating something up in the microwave that of course explodes or is making popcorn, right? You're looking for the privacy. I think in some ways, as people consider returning to the office, they're hanging on to some of those beliefs, right? That the office is this noisy, distracted, or maybe now even unsafe place. What other myths and misconceptions do you see people carrying about the office that you would really choose to challenge and invite leaders and organizations to do the same? Number one, I think that the, the commute that we, that the majority of uh, working Americans got used to pre-pandemic, that is uh, not going to return in the way that it had, that it had existed. Uh, the idea of sitting in a car two hours a day round trip uh, and sitting in traffic and having to do it five days a week. Uh, there's, there is just, there's a lot of lost productivity when it comes to, to the commute. And uh, that's something that is an assumption that we have to shed. Right. Um, I think that that's leading to a lot of novel, solutions that are coming to market right now where uh, there are lots of workplaces lots of solutions that are embracing this concept less of a, a centralized headquarters but more of a distributed uh, network of places to get great work done and uh, that's that's you know a macro trend that I think we will continue to see to accelerate uh, but I also think that when it comes to myths and misconceptions, um, you know, we are in such a state of flux right now uh, in terms of how we think employees will or want to behave that the honest truth is nobody knows. And I, being in the industry that, that we are in, I have followed the surveys that have been sent to employees from uh, March 2020 to June 2020 to June 2021 to June 2022. And the preferences of employees and what the expectations of employees have honestly evolved in such a staggering way that I think we are still standing on shifting grounds. We are not in a, any uh, state of normal. We are not in uh, standing on any type of foundation. Um, and so I think in that context, the only answer is to embrace optionality, adaptability, flexibility, because those misconceptions and myths, you know, are still around us that we, and those are still things that we take for ground, granted. Uh, so, it's uh, it's an interesting time when it comes to returning to office or thinking about the future of office. But um, it's also it, it's a it's a motivating time because for a company like Room, this is our opportunity to help shape the future and to help nudge the wor working world towards outcomes that we think will be better and to be uh, 
more inspirational for people to do the best work. What could the office be when it grows up? I mean, what's your ultimate dream when you look out on the horizon, if you were to design the perfect, most adaptable, sustainable, productive office, what does it look like? First of all, I would, I would, I was, I'll say it, it is, we believe that that room can become the brand and become the comp, the go-to company uh, that helps really define what it means to have productive, healthy, sustainable, creative workplaces. So that is what we wake up thinking about every day, right? Um, now, I think there is no single answer. Uh, and what I, what, I, what I really truly believe is that the f- that future is going to be a network of easily accessible, easily discoverable, distributed workplaces. So you don't have to travel an hour, uh, five days a week, but you can access something that's closer to home. I, I don't think it necessarily has to be at home because I think that everyone is realizing separation a little bit between home and work is, is, is probably a healthy thing. But I think it's a, this, a, a network of easily accessed, purpose-built workplaces. And when I say purpose-built, what I mean is that if, you're, if your work requires focused work, that you're able to access a place where you can get focused work done. If your work requires brainstorming and collaboration, you can go and access a place that's truly purpose-built for that. Uh, that, I think, is going to be uh, the future rather than more of that monolithic centralized uh, headquarters. And uh, at Room, you know, what we're really focused on is trying to build, make the building blocks of that distributed uh, workplace easily accessible. So that's where we have the phone booth. We have the room that I'm in right now is called the focus room. It's purpose built for video conferencing, for uh, for Zoom calls, for uh, for focused work. We also have purpose built meeting rooms, and we these different form factors are going to be required across all sorts of different spaces and um, and and all, all sorts all, all different types of geographies, and not necessarily in a centralized place. Right. So what we're doing is a little bit. It's a little bit of an unbundling of the office. It used to be, you know what, you go to the office, it's 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And you're going there for, uh, and it, maybe Google is maybe the, the the guiltiest of this, but you're going there to sometimes do your laundry, to, to meditate, to do your focus work, to collaborate, uh, to socialize, build a sense of community. And that's a lot to ask of a single office. And when you layer on top of uh, all of those things, this high friction of commuting from home to the office, uh, I think we're in basically this great unbundling of the office for more nuanced, uh, multi-purpose utilizations. And uh, that doesn't have to be in a centralized place. There will always be a need for companies to bring everybody together. We just had an all-company offsite for the first time. Uh, a couple months ago, and it was incredibly valuable. But we don't need an office that's designed for that purpose. And uh, what we what we need is is easily accessible workspaces that are purpose built for the different ways in which we work. Hybrid work. Employees want it. Employers need it. And everyone has questions. 
When done right, facilitating flexible work can be a win-win for everyone. Happier employees, engaged teams, and better business outcomes. Robin is here to make the logistics easy. Our all-in-one workplace experience platform helps thousands of companies reimagine their approach to work. To learn more about how we make hybrid work work, visit robinpowered.com. Unbundling the office. That could be a vision. And what it helps me to imagine is a world where you would choose the kind of experience you want and then search for the location in a secondary search, right? The primary would be what kind of work experience do I want or need to have today? Is it focus time? Is it gathering time? Is it an offsite, as you mentioned? And then where could I have that style or experience? I mean, is that doable? I, th- I think it's 100% doable. And um, I think it's, it's in my regard, in, in, my, in my view, it is the, the inevitable future that we're headed towards, right? It starts with purpose. What, what, and how, what do I need to accomplish and how? Mm. And then the answer becomes the location and the real estate um and historically that has been flipped it's been here's the location in the office let me figure out how to uh make the use of make the best use of that office and and real estate and location for the purpose but that's that is kind of the you know it's the wrong wrong order in which to think about things it's entirely possible um to to flip the equation and i think that there are lots of solutions that are popping up to support this and uh when i think about where room is headed i can see our products and our products already are in places like uh multifamily real estate buildings where landlords are deciding that if they want to attract people uh to one or two bedroom apartments they actually need to have business amenities in the in the building because people don't want to work from home but people want to work near home um and we're seeing that we're seeing uh we're ha- having very active conversations with uh airports uh hotels that want to re-amenitize lobbies and their business centers even retail suburban retail centers that want to provide a place for for uh, people to get work done, like you said, success from anywhere, right? You 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 should be able to to be able to be productive, whether you're on a family shopping trip at the suburban shopping mall, um, or whether you're dropping your kid off for daycare, or whether you are um, on a business trip, staying at a hotel, or even on a leisurely trip, or just you know on a um, uh, extended stay during the summer somewhere. Um, and the key to it is providing, I think, the tools for success and that it definitely, you know, definitely that includes internet connectivity and strong, um, the ability to connect with your coworkers. Uh, but it also includes, it obviously includes your, your AV setup, your laptop, of course, your hardware setup and your ability to conduct, uh, calls like this um, but the four walls are also really important but it's actually less important the four walls of a building what's maybe more important is the four walls of your specific workplace 
and that's what we're focused on, right? We're focused on that interior architecture, the the space that has the most disproportionate impact on your day to day work. And so, I do think if you if you have these modular building blocks that are easily deployable, shipping flat, assembling on site, you can then have an access to these spaces wherever you are. And uh, that then allows you to flip the equation, to think first, what do I need to accomplish today? Why am I doing it? How am I going to do it? And then to answer the second question, where? The where, you know, if you have that distributed network, uh, the where can be solved. But I think that's the right order in which to ask the questions. And what you're describing is a flexible foundation and the building blocks to make the experience of success from anywhere a reality. And as you were describing hotels and hospitality centers, I have to believe other people besides me pictured the moment when you're in a hotel and you realize you need some space for a video conference or an important meeting, and you find the business center inside of your hotel and what's it like? There's barely a light, right? It's gray in there. There's a strange color. It's dim. It's in the least desirable real estate. And when you turn on the camera, you sort of look ill. It's echoing. I mean, what you're talking about is truly making it possible to realize this vision of success from anywhere. And my vision of that business center includes a printer, a scanner, and and a massive conference room and uh things that just are are no longer relevant and you know the way that we work changes so quickly right and we need to have a dynamic tools to help us adapt and be ready for uh for whatever way we want to work going forward time magazine named your phone booth one of the best new innovations And tell us more about the solutions that you offer. And lots of folks listening will want to know, have you designed anything for the home office? Because I know a lot of people with pets and kids who would love a phone booth experience in their own home. Yeah, so uh, thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, Time Time Magazine uh, named us one of the best um, innovations uh, a couple of years ago, and it was it was for the phone booth, and it was because we were truly helping to create this new category of product that I mentioned, right? Where uh, we actually uh, it was in 2019, right before the pandemic, we surveyed our 3,000 business customers that we had sold to at that point. We've now sold to 6,000, but at that point, we surveyed the 3,000 that we've sold to. At, and we asked them if they had ever purchased a phone booth, a modular phone booth, or if they had ever purchased any kind of modular architecture. And the concept was so novel for, for them that it was, it was over 90% of our of, of respondents that said, that said no. Room was the first company from which they had purchased uh, modular architecture. And this was so exciting for us because it was, you know, it's a creation of a new category. It's a creation of, of uh, a new, as I was saying, new paradigm of office build out. And so we're continuing to expand upon that. 
um, we have gone from the phone booth, which is truly you know designed and optimized for that 30 minute to an hour long phone call or video conferencing call. And we've expanded the footprint uh, to, to accommodate different use cases and um, with a, a focus on, well, focus and collaboration as being two uh, primary modes of work uh, that I think that uh, in each has its own kind of unique design requirements. So uh, we have a focus room and a meeting room. The meeting room can seat up to four. It's designed for hybrid collaboration. So uh, we've partnered with Jabra Camera where they have a 180 degree panicast uh, so that you can actually have a great experience for people who are both dialing into a meeting remotely as well as people who are sitting in, a, in the same room. And that's been a, an age old problem and a design problem that has been uh, overlooked un until the pandemic, right? So uh, we, we have these purpose-built meetings that are really designed for hybrid collaboration, as well as, as I mentioned, the room that I'm sitting in right now, um, which is called the focus room for Zoom calls. And we actually did a partnership with Zoom. Uh, we launched a product called the Room from for Zoom, uh, where it partners with um, HP for the hardware and, and obviously Zoom for the, for the software. Um, but that's we're just in the beginning stages of where we want to go, right? So we have these set of products uh, that I just mentioned. We're looking to expand the footprint uh, so that the future we imagine is that if you're a company that wants to take over a lease to expand or to uh, to, to to just kind of bring your employees together, you can you can walk into a you know what the industry will call a white box environment basically all of the shell of the place intact and have a modular setup where room products pop up overnight and you have a dynamic optimized workplace for your employees that's well suited to your culture to the type of company that you are building to the the type of work that your employees are doing so that's you know, ultimately what we're trying to build, but um, we are, you know, early in the early innings of our journey and uh, very excited to continue bringing new innovations to, to the market. Because I'm fortunate to spend time with entrepreneurs and innovators, people often ask me, you know, where does innovation come from? Or what if I have an idea? And you've described throughout the course of our conversation a great life cycle to think about innovation. I mean, first, find a problem you are passionate about solving. Second, scope the magnitude of the problem. Third, listen and look. You know, how are others trying to solve this problem? You described people building this phone booth experience that was terrible to get to an outcome at the cost of the experience. So you said, hey, we'll solve for a better experience. And then you talked about deep customer listening. And, and now what you're describing to us is asking what I call the genius question, which is how could we make this easier? I mean, imagine a constructionless office, an easier renovation, you know, reduced time to making your space valuable. Uh, I, would, I would definitely say that there's a, 
a sprinkle of of relentlessness that's required and and uh pure, and just pure will because you know I, I don't think it's ever easy to bring a new a completely new idea uh into the world and to uh make it widely adapted because uh by default you're you're changing you know an understood and accepted way of doing business um and so 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 bringing that kind of novelty into the world yes it requires the things that you mentioned it also i think requires conviction and relentlessness <laughs> well well said and we were talking earlier in the show that challenging the way we've always done things especially with something like the office is challenging and I work with a lot of leaders and organizations, and I know you do too, who are feeling stuck right now. And you were quoted as saying, we need more workplace pilots and less workplace strategy. I'm going to paraphrase your statement here, but what advice would you offer to leaders and organizations to get them unstuck from pondering and into piloting? Yeah. So uh, it, I, 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 thank you so much for bringing it up because uh, one thing I forgot to mention actually about our, our entire portfolio is that what we have done is we've embedded occupancy sensors into the products themselves. We've embedded technology so that you can understand how the products are being used. You can get real-time feedback on whether your employees are using the focus spaces more than the collaboration spaces or what t hour of the day, you know, essentially you can create a heat map of your floor plan to understand uh, what the, what your, what the flow of the day looks like, what the flow of employee work looks like. And for us, uh, that's such an important element of what we're building because modularity is one leg of the stool insight data and insights is another leg of the stool and then the third leg is the ability to act and reconfigure and and actually be responsive to changing needs and that's why i uh made this statement which is that we uh, we need more workplace pilots and less workplace strategy because if you put yourself into that old world where you say uh, we're going to take out a 10 year lease and we're going to design a workplace strategy that's going to be valid for 10 years. And it's this, and it's going to rely on this ratio of desks to conference rooms. And this is the way people are going to work. Um, the, your, your, the mindset is, is, uh, is, is set up for failure. Um, because things are not that static and, if if we've learned anything over the last two and a half years of the pandemic, it is that things change quickly. And there needs to be this tight feedback loop where you try something quickly, inexpensively, with something that ideally that would be modular, uh, and also that you test and learn with sensors or technology or whatever data insights you can collect. And then that you have, you, you, you set yourself up with the ability to adapt, right? To, to iterate. And it is this, um, you know, I think people who are thinking about the return to office, um, if, if, if you're thinking about how they would design a new office for the next 10 years, they're weighed down by the gravity of the decision. What does the future of work look like? 
And that's an immense amount of gravity to be to be living with. But the reality is that we can be much more iterative and the much better response is to get things out there, see if it sticks and and continue to evolve. And that's what we are trying to to enable. Um, and you know the the inspiration for that statement that I made was uh, you know inspired by um, an article I read about Mayor Bloomberg and what, what Mayor Bloomberg had said when he was mayor of New York was he call, he just decided to call a lot of things late uh, uh, he called decided to label a lot of his projects pilots rather than you know new policies because with a new policy it's it's that's a heavy weight. Uh, inflexible mindset. Whereas if you say, you know what, this is a pilot, we might cancel it, we might take it back, we might change it. It's much faster and easier to deploy. And uh, that is 100% uh, the mindset that I think we need to take to the physical world. And that's the that's the, the leap that needs to be made because most people don't think about atoms in the physical world as something that can be easily iterated upon. Iterated upon. Usually people think around about iteration in the, through the lens of UX design or, you know, apps, web applications. Uh, but the reality is that we, we're, you know, I think we're, what we are trying to do and I think what the world wants is for there to be this kind of application layer on, in the physical world that can be iterated upon and that can be optimized as, as behaviors change. Do the doable. I mean, that's what you just described. A, a policy mindset is fixed and says, what's our 10-year, $10 million plan? The pilot mindset puts you into flexibility that says, what could we do with 10 minutes and give ourselves permission to change? I mean, what you described there is within reach for every organization. And when we all hear the word pilot, we are in a different mindset. We expect change. And speaking of change, I want to take you into a little segment that I like to call Take Five. And the inspiration for Take Five is people say all the time how much they miss these spontaneous water cooler inter interactions. And so we're going to take five right here before I ask you one parting question. Here's how Take Five works. I'm going to ask you five questions related to the office, and I want you to give us the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready to take five? I don't know if I am, but, <laughs> <laughs> but we'll give it a go. All right, so here we go, take five. Imagine that you know we're in the break room, there's free snacks and drinks, whatever that looks like to you, but here we go, take five. When you were a kid, Brian, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be an entrepreneur, that's, that's the truth. You're living your dream come true. That's that's awesome. What is your favorite guilty pleasure office snack? I mean, we 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 provided fruits to the office, so I I you know apple honestly like you feel guilty yeah, about eating an apple. You're I, not I I, I like... don't feel guilty no, but we I'm not a snacking person honestly. I like uh yeah. 
I'm a three meal kind of a day person. I'm not as much of a snacks person. You've just busted <laughs> the entrepreneurial myth. I mean, there was no Red Bull, no Sour Patch Kids, nothing. I'm amazing. Amazing. Okay, next. What is the best excuse you've ever heard or given for missing a meeting? Oh my gosh, what comes to mind? Um, I mean, I, I, I've done this myself uh, where I, I literally forgot to set an alarm clock and, you know, showed up late for a meeting because I overslept. We've all been there. We've all been there. What do you keep on your desk that inspires you? A stack of books. Ah, fantastic. And to whom are you most grateful for investing in your career? Too many to name, to be honest. Uh, there, There's, you know, I, I, I think the exercise of entrepreneurship is betting on the unproven. Uh, and the, the exercise of building a company um, from scratch is betting on people who are unproven in their careers. And that's certainly been the case uh, for me. One last question before we go. Now that we finished up our take five round, you got a break from all the questions about the future of the office. One last question for you. What do you want your legacy on the office to be? We would like nothing less than for Room to become the most significant brand in the future of work, to be the brand that is synonymous for fun, productive, creative, healthy work environments that will inspire people to do their best work. Like that is, uh, you know, that is the legacy that uh, we hope to, to leave behind. Unbundle your office the construction list office, all of these are possible as we look forward to the future of work. Thank you so much to Brian, founder, co-founder and CEO of Room. Thanks for joining us on Success From Anywhere because success is not a destination. Success is not a location. Success is available to anyone, anywhere, at any time. 